Today, loved ones, we turn in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 6, reading verses 25 to 34. There's an outline on page 4. It's not intended to confuse. It's intended just to give you bullet points. If it helps to take notes for you, take notes. If it helps to look at an outline, do that. If it helps to have your Bible open, which it should for all of us, please do that. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. We live in days of increasing and intensifying anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. We look at the world and culture around us and we think that the very foundations of life seem to be on the verge of collapse, Psalm 11. In our own life, we never know what a day will bring. Sometimes, as David Paulison says, it's like we're juggling china plates. You got a dozen plates, and they're circling all around you, and you're trying to catch one here and dive over there to make sure it doesn't fall. And between your life and the life of your loved ones and your church family and your jobs and everything around you, No wonder we're anxious. Anxiety affects everyone. The question is, how do we respond? And we see today in the text, there are two ways to respond. The way of the fool, proud, restless, and self-absorbed. Or the way of wisdom, turning to the Lord, being reminded that the Lord is near. Loved ones, I hope that that promise encourages you today. That in the covenant of grace, in the promises of the gospel, God is your Father. 
Christ is your elder brother. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And Jesus wants you in this text today not to be more anxious from reading it, but to know that in the gospel there is eternal security for anxious hearts. We turn first to the diagnosis of fear and anxiety. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, body and soul, in the image of God. Psalm 31 illustrates how this body and soul, which is what we are, and how our sufferings in body and soul play out in terms of anxiety. In Psalm 31, King David has physical weakness. Any of us relate? Bones wasting away, bodies breaking down. He has a conscience troubled by sin. All of us have sinned this day against God. Hostility from opponents, adversaries, abusive and harmful treatment from others. He's become a reproach, he says. He's been betrayed by his friends. He's been forgotten like one who is dead. And his soul and body in this psalm, his whole person, is in distress. Loved ones, mental strain and stress, that's what the word distress pictures. The effects of anxiety on our body and our soul. The circumstances we live in. David is in a personal fog in Psalm 31. He's struggling within and without. And so it is with us. We come as those who are dealing with a number of challenges this week. When you look around you, none of us can take in what all of us is even going through, even if we knew it all, but we don't. The pain, the sorrow, the grief. Maybe we've been struggling with anger this week. And when you struggle with anger, do you know how your face gets red and hot and, and your heart is pounding? Well, your body and soul together. Maybe you're struggling with fear this week. Your stomach is just churning. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you've had panic attacks this week or in the past. Chest pains, dizziness, nausea, rapid heartbeat. Maybe you've gone to the hospital for panic attacks. Whatever form anxiety takes, and it takes different forms in different ones of us, we need biblical wisdom. Do you know what is by far the most repeated command in all the Bible? Do not be afraid. Over 300 times. This is not coming as a hammer to pound on you, but as God's compassionate comfort That God draws near to you when you're afraid. There's real threats. You and I are not in control. You or a loved one may be in danger this day about a number of different things. And the the, the fear might be shouting at you. These are afflictions. The world's a scary place. We are both sinners and sinned against There may be people in your life that have done horrible harm to you. And we may have done horrible harm to others. 
There are some myths about anxiety that we need to kind of throw off the table. Anxiety is not just a lack of faith. It's not, okay, you just got to have more faith. Anxiety is not just in your head. We're body and soul. Anxiety then is not just you pray more and you read the Bible more and then it goes away. No. We don't have a name it, claim it view of anything, do we? It's also not true that anxiety is sin in every case. In many ways, it's an affliction. Our bodies are affected by sin. So sin's always a part of what we do and what we struggle with. But it's not that someone comes up to you and says, I'm anxious, and you say, well, it's because you have sinned here. It's not that simple. Jesus is tender. And so we, as his people, are to be tender with each other. He knows our weakness. And there are proper distinctions to be made between sinful anxiety, and there's a sinful sort of it, yeah, and a proper care. Our proper concern in our lives is like a flashing red light. It's on the dashboard of the car. Something's wrong, right? You don't know if the tire is low, if the oil needs to be changed, or if the whole transmission is about to blow. So it is with our anxiety. God has hardwired us. There's trouble. We feel it. Paul had concern. So Matthew 6 here is not saying you can't be disappointed, you can't lament, you can't wish things were different. We do care, and we have concern because we love. We live in a fallen world. Many people have physical differences and challenges, and, and our brains and biochemistry and different experiences and injuries and all sorts of things that we've been through. We want to be patient with each other. We want to be compassionate toward each other. What is Jesus talking about then, Matthew 6? He says three times, do not be anxious. Anxiety is hard to define, isn't it? It involves a physical reaction. It involves nervousness, fear. And it combines two words that together mean to have a distracting care. To be pulled away. To have our mind somewhere else. We all know it. To be going over something in our head when something right here is in front of us and we're not at all here in the moment. What was that line from the movie? The Incredibles. Be present, she says to her husband. I don't know where you are, but you're not here. Anxiety diverts us from what's most important. Instead of bringing our troubles to God, we juggle them. We live out the future before it happens. We fix horizontally, but we forget vertically. We forget the Lord. It's like cataracts are over our eyes. We're just seeing right here what's around us. There's different forms of this. We overreact to real trouble. We become upset about things that shouldn't trouble us. Paulison says, if you want to know what makes us anxious, fill in the blank. I need. I want. I don't want. Which of the desires of our flesh have become our master? 
We may fixate on something. We may obsess about something. We may try to fix or control something. Anxiety manifests itself in imbalance. It means to be busy and overburdened. Martha, Martha. Martha, you've had a a desire to serve me, Jesus says. Martha's busy serving the guests, preparing the meal. Where's Mary? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's exasperated, reminding us there's a fine line between anxiety and anger. We often excuse it as irritability or frustration. But anxiety can result in our being annoyed with people who appear to not be as concerned as I am about this particular thing or not as passionate as I am about that thing. And I'm annoyed with them and it spawns other sins. It breeds them. Martha, you're anxious and troubled. Luke chapter 10. Martha was consumed with something good. She wanted to work and serve Jesus, but she took her focus off of Jesus. Sinful anxiety puts worldly cares and responsibilities above Christ. What does it look like in real life? Kevin DeYoung shares these analogies. I'm going to kind of be changing them a bit and using some of them. You wake up 10 minutes late. Already you know I'm going to be late to work. The kids are going to be late to school. I'm already frantic. You pass by the mirror. You see gray hairs, acne, and things that shouldn't be in certain places on your body. And you're worried already about these things. Before you even brush your teeth, you look at your phone. And you realize that's a bad idea right away. The text message, the email, I've got to respond. I should have responded last night. You're heading to breakfast. What do we have to feed the kids? I bought bulk frosted flakes at Costco, but the online health diagnosis says don't feed your kids sugar in the morning, but that's what I had. It was a good deal. That's all I got. I'm anxious about frosted flakes. The kids are there, and one of them forgot to do the homework from the night before. Another one is missing their shoe. You head off to school. You're worried about what friends they'll be with. The little ones, you're worried about whether they'll get hurt on the playground. You get home or you go to work. You need a mental break. You look at social media. Everyone's life looks awesome. They're succeeding. Their kids are great. They go to interesting places. I'm a loser. Later in the morning, you walk around and you realize you've got back pain. You've got a headache. You go online, you try to self-diagnose what it is. And you realize online you have every possible malady that they tell you you have, and even worse. The day's over, you go to turn on the TV, the news is worse than you imagined. Earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, war, threats, inflation. You turn off the news, you talk to your spouse, but your spouse is distant. Your spouse is ensured that they'll keep their job. You're wondering about medical insurance. Your spouse has problems with their stomach, and your spouse is looking online at what they're going through. You're tired, you say, I'm just going to bed. 
You go to bed, but you can't sleep because you're anxious about what you just have been talking about all day long. And then you finally fall asleep, and then you wake up with a start in the middle of the night, and you worry about your kids. Once you have children, it's hard to be happier than your least happy child, someone said. And as you wake up in the middle of the night, your worry increases because you're not sleeping and you're not going to be rested and you're not going to be able to go tomorrow. This is DeYoung kind of sharing a bit of what our days can be like. Some of you might resonate with some of it. Some of you might resonate with little of it or all of it. Something's happening that we're consumed with. We're seeking shelter often, though, from the anxiety by trying to escape. And we want a hit of dopamine kind of. So we're looking for social media or for excess food or excess alcohol or too much TV to give us a break to get our mind off of what is making us anxious. We're scrolling on our phone. We're trying to look to gods of this world to fix our heart problem. Or we're trying to work harder to get the problem to go away and to solve it. And what's going on here? Paulison says, we profess God is in control of everything, but we live as if we have to fix it. The gap, he says, between what we say we believe and how we live day by day. In that moment or week or season, our anxiety, our escapism, our drivenness is such that we live as if all these things matter more and trust in God. We forget God. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, verse 30. Not saying that, again, you just have to have more faith and that fixes it. But he is saying, I want my people to grow in trust and dependence on me. And when we worry without God in our minds, it's as if we're saying to God, you don't care, you can't do anything about it, And I don't think you love and will help me in this trial. So I'm going to worry about it. Trusting God takes practice. It takes the grace of God's Spirit. And some forms of anxiety can be traced to unbelief. Oh, you have little faith. Which means we need to repent of that. What idols in our life have driven our sinful anxiety? What idols have driven our escapism? Where have they hijacked my heart? God, forgive me. By your spirit, may the gap close between what I say I believe as a Christian and how I'm functioning right now in the moment with my spouse and my kids. God, forgive me. Give me the grace of repentance. Some forms of anxiety trace their roots to pride when we're prayerless. Other forms, as Jesus says in Matthew 6.25, therefore, tie back with what he just said. We have all these treasures on earth that we're storing up. And when they disappear, they change. I'm anxious over them. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. The Gentiles, he says in verse 32, Pagans, they are unceasingly restless, always searching after what we eat, drink, and wear. 
We create anxiety when we let in only darkness, when we focus on the negative, when we try to serve two masters, when we think, I really love this thing more than God, we're creating anxiety in our hearts. Jesus says, verse 27, does this add to your life? DeYoung gives us this illustration. I want to borrow it and see if it helps us. Right now, everyone here, for five seconds, think about what makes you anxious. Right now, ready, set, go, five. Did that help? We can't make our life better with worry. That's DeYoung's point. That's Jesus' point. We can't add to our life. Literally, you can't make yourself taller, kids. You can't make your life longer. You can't make your life better. In fact, the opposite happens. There are physical effects to anxiety. We are body and soul. When we worry in this self-centered way, we are cut off from other people. We go into our own cocoon. We go into our own cave. It has relational effects as well as physical effects. It robs us of serving others because we're just thinking about ourselves. It disrupts our fellowship with God. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Secondly, what does Jesus say are remedies? Jesus does not say there's just a Band-Aid here. He doesn't tell you to not care. He doesn't tell you to remove yourself from people. He doesn't tell you to be stoic. He doesn't tell you to fix yourself. What does he tell you to do? When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, the psalmist says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations, O God, delight and cheer my soul. So, what does that mean? First, Jesus says, look outside. Go for a walk. Look at the birds. We had some sandhill cranes. You might still see them if you look over there. They were hanging out about a half hour ago. Earlier this week, I went and saw trumpeter swans, a big bird of prey, and ducks all around. I do like birds. I I admit that. I probably have too much of a fascination on birds to the point where when we're driving at times, I'm looking at the birds and not the road. But look at the birds. Why? God takes care of them. God feeds them. The trumpeter swan is going to eat minnows, and the hawk is going to eat the trumpeter swan. They're going to, right? God knows how to take care of these creatures. Look at the flowers on your walk. Look at the fall leaves. Look at the beauty of God's creation around us. Solomon wasn't clothed like these flowers. Why is he telling us this? Life is more than food and clothes. It's not that you shouldn't think about food and clothes. But our earthly existence is not guarded by the food we eat, the clothes we wear. Life is more than food, Jesus says. It's more than clothes. It's more than the designer brand. It's more than the gourmet meal. Thank God for the clothes. Thank God for the meal. But it's more than that. 
God gave you food. He gave you clothes. He knows that you need it. And he is your heavenly father. The key to what Jesus says is that. When we fret over all of these things and treasures of this world, we are proclaiming to the world around us and to our own hearts, I'm not valuable. But God says, I made you in my image. You're worth way more than the trumpeter swan, way more than the flower. I love you. You're a child of the living God. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was raised from the dead for you. Jesus prays for you. Jesus is returning for you. You have a hope in the gospel that is far greater than any trial, as great as it might be, in this world. Your heavenly Father loves you personally. You have a relationship with him by faith in Jesus. He knows what you need. But you say, well, what if all my fears are realized? What if my loved one doesn't get better? What if the thing that I was fretting about and going online to search if I have, I actually have? What if I have cancer? What if I die young? What about... Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, because there's an absence of trouble in your life. He says, don't worry, because of the providence of God, despite your trouble. The everywhere present power of God. There are fruitful years and there are barren years. There is meat and there is drink that God provides. There is water and then there's drought. There's health and there's sickness. The providence of God is a foundation for troubled hearts. My grace is sufficient for you, he says. My power is made perfect in your weakness. What Jesus is saying is that we need to realize there's more to life than staying alive. God has appointed the day of our birth and the day of our death. There's more than just this world. If we make it our goal, above all else, to stay alive, we have gone into ourselves so much that we've missed the glory of God in loving our neighbor. Jesus is saying, your anxious heart can find rest, but it's not in food, it's not in clothing, and it's not in staying alive. It's in the gospel. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The earthly death of the body is not the worst thing that can happen to us. We must fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The eternal destination of your body and soul is the reason that your life is more than food and clothes. We need the gospel. We need a heavenly treasure. We need life everlasting. We need the resurrection of the dead. We need to inherit the new kingdom that God has promised, the new heavens and new earth, the imperishable, undefiled inheritance, and it's the gift of God's grace for you in Jesus. Eternal life was earned for you, accomplished for you, finished for you through the work of Jesus in his death for you, in his resurrection for you. 
It's the gift of God's grace to you. He loves you. If God has done that, he did not spare his own son, how will he not also with Christ, in Christ, by the Spirit, give you graciously all things? He's done the greater. He will take care of you. Seek first his kingdom. When we're anxious, when I'm anxious, I need to stop and say, what am I seeking right now? Yes, there are legitimate desires and callings you have. You may desire a relationship, a recreation, a vocation, a business plan. Those are good things that honor God. As long as they're not the first thing. Seek first God's kingdom. And then, verse 34, give attention right now to what God has for you today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Spurgeon says, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. Tomorrow will have tomorrow's problems. They might be worse than today. Tomorrow we'll have tomorrow's joys. They might be better than today. But don't borrow on tomorrow's troubles when we don't have tomorrow's grace. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. What's God calling you to do today about today's trouble? Here's another analogy Pallison gives. Imagine two circles. One of them is six feet wide, another six inches. He says, what you need to do today is right here in the six inches. The big circle, you leave that to God. What does that mean? You're worried about your kids. Can you and I guarantee that they will trust and love the Lord? Their future is in God's hands. We can't control that. That's not in our little circle. Changing our teenagers is not in the little circle of what God wants you and I to do today. But what is in that circle? Slipping a note to your teenager in their lunchbox, praying for them. They're 15 years old, going to them and giving them a kiss at night and reading the Bible, saying, I love you. Taking time out of your busy day to play catch or play Candyland, or draw a picture, whether they're young or old. In the smaller circle, what is God calling us to today? He's calling us to faith and to love. He's calling us not to go one-on-one with our trial. The Lord, loved ones, is near. It's not you and the trial one-on-one in a boxing ring where you're going at this trial, and trying to knock them down with a KO knockout punch. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, Philippians 4. We tend to forget that when we're in the midst of it, right? The heat, the trial. We're not thinking about the Lord. Oh, God, help me this day to know that you are near, that you guard us with your peace. This is not a weak guarding. Peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ. Who is Christ? 
He's your good shepherd. Who are we? We're silly sheep that by nature go our own way. But we have a shepherd that we can look to, that we can trust, that we keep an eye on. Lord, help us to learn to trust. This is not something by nature we do. Give us your spirit to cry out to you when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. When that happens, help me like David in Psalm 31 who is helpless, who is desperate, who is in the fog. Help me still to call out to you. Help me to move from anxiety to gospel assurance by personalizing the promise of the gospel. By knowing that, God, you are my refuge. You are my strength. My times are in your hands. We need each other here. Talk to a trusted, compassionate friend. Satan wants to isolate you. God says, speak your anxieties, your fears to someone that you know loves you and will help you. God says, I want your mind to be renewed. I want you to reject the lies of anxiety. Lies that say, I would be happy if I had more. That's a lie. Reject the lie that says, I would be happy if I had a different blank. God, help me to be content. Give me a healed and salvaged mind. A spirit not of fear, not of cowardice, but power and love and self-control by your grace. Help me to have a pilgrim mindset. Help me when I'm tempted to escape, not to turn to these things for my comfort, but to turn to the Lord, not to be absorbed in myself. It's a worship thing, isn't it? God, help me to trust you, to worship you, to cast my anxieties on you. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious, Philippians 4. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. That's how we humble ourselves. We cast our anxieties on God because he cares for you, because you have a living relationship with your Father in heaven. You're stuck. God, give me insight. I need wisdom. You're alone. God, help me to be reminded of your presence. You're afraid. God, help me to remember in all that is changeable, in all that is uncertain, in the world and in my life, one thing is secure. God is my refuge and my strength. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your psalms. Thank you that we can lament, that we can cry out, that in fog and anxiety and fear we can bring these concerns to you and we know that you care for us. We know that your promises are yes and amen to us in Jesus. We know that in Christ nothing can separate us from your love. 
We know that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, write these gracious truths on the hearts and minds of the Emmaus Road family today as we cast our anxieties on you, knowing that you care for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.